Hi everyone, I hope everyone's been having a blessed day. Uh, Today we're going to be covering chapters 6 through 9 of Job. Um, So uh, we're going to just dive right into it. And uh, chapter 6, Job's second speech, a response to Eliphaz. If my misery could be weighed and my troubles be put on the scales, they would outweigh all the sands of the sea. That is why I spoke impulsively, for the Almighty has struck me down with his arrows. Their poison infects my spirit. God's terrors are lined up against me. Don't I have a right to complain? Don't wild donkeys bray when they find no grass, and oxen bellow when they have no food? Don't people complain about unsalted food? Does anyone want the tasteless white of an egg? My appetite disappears when I look at it. I gag at the thought of eating it. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant my desire. I wish he would crush me. I wish he would reach out his hand and kill me. At least I can take comfort in this despite the pain. I have not denied the words of the Holy One, but I don't have the strength to endure. I have nothing to live for. Do I have the strength of a stone? Is my body made of bronze? No, I am utterly helpless, without any chance of success. One should be kind to a fainting friend, but you accuse me without any fear of the Almighty. My brothers, you have proved as unreliable as a seasonal brook that overflows its banks in the spring, when it's swollen with ice and melting snow. But when the hot weather arrives, the water disappears, the brook vanishes in the heat, the caravans turn in aside to be refreshed, but there is nothing to drink, so they die. The caravans from Tima search for this water, the travelers from Sheba hope to find it, they count on it, but are disappointed when they arrive. Their hopes are dashed. You, too, have given no help. You have seen my calamity, and you are afraid. But why? Have I ever asked you for a gift? Have I begged for anything of yours for myself? Have I asked you to rescue me from my enemies, or to save me from ruthless people? Teach me, and I will keep quiet. Show me what I have done wrong. Honest words can be painful, but what do your criticisms amount to? Do you think your words are convincing when you disregard my cry of desperation? You would even send an orphan into slavery or sell a friend. Look at me. Would I lie to your face? Stop assuming my guilt, for I have done no wrong. Do you think I am lying? Don't I know the difference between right and wrong? In chapter 6, we see that... uh, Suffering has a way of stripping us from the protective shields we create to hide behind. As we openly display our pain, we can no longer pretend that things are alright. Job was grieving deeply in these verses. He felt wounded by God and had no reason to pretend that his pain was no significant. When we, co- when we can lo- no longer hide our pain, we can talk about it. We can get our emotions out in the open. 
where we can deal with them. In, in uh, verses 8 through 13, Job received some comfort from the fact that he hadn't disobeyed God. Even while he was in intense pain, we find that he was concerned about his relationship with God. The opposite is often true with us. We suffer and no longer care about God or his laws. Our discouragement touches our spiritual lives rather quickly. And the more pain we feel, the quicker we give up on God. But we see from Job that when we suffer, we should focus our thoughts on God, our only hope for salvation. We also see that uh, friends are very important. When we are hurting, we depend on them to listen, to weep, to support, to just be with us. If ever Job needed his friends, it was now. Yet Job found his friends as undependable as a seasonal brook. He was deeply disappointed in their failure to support him in his pain. They were long on advice, but short on compassion. When our friends try to comfort us, we should tell them how they can help us better. If we are called upon to comfort others, we need to be sensitive to their needs. In verses 29 to 30, it said, Stop assuming my guilt, for I have done no wrong. Do you think I am lying? Don't I know the difference between right and wrong? And Job here stated that if he had sinned, he would have admitted it. He wanted to know just what he had done to deserve punishment. Job honestly reflected on his spiritual condition and couldn't find anything wrong. We too need to honestly reflect on our spiritual condition. If there is sin in our lives, we need to confess it. We have, If we have wronged someone, we need to make restitution. Denying the facts will not help our spiritual growth. So let's continue on to chapter 7. Is not only human life a struggle? Our lives are like that of a hired hand, like a worker who longs for the shade, like a servant waiting to be paid. I too have been assigned months of futility, long and weary nights of misery. Lying in bed, I think, when will we be mourning? But the night drags on and I toss till dawn. My body is covered with maggots and scabs. My skin breaks open, oozing with pus. Job cries out to God. My days fly faster than a weaver's shuttle. They end without hope. O oh God, remember that my life is but a breath, and I will never again feel helpless unhappiness. You see me now, but not for long. You will look for me, but I will be gone. Just as a cloud dissipates and vanishes, those who die will not come back. They are gone forever from their home, never to be seen again. I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. My bitter soul must complain. Am I a sea monster or a dragon that you must place me under guard? I think my bed will comfort me and sleep will ease my misery. But when you shatter me with dreams and terrify me with visions, I would rather be strangled, rather die than suffer like this. I hate my life and I don't want to go on living. Oh, leave me alone for my few remaining days. What are people that you should make so much of us? 
that you should think of us so often, for you examine us every morning and test us every moment. Why won't you leave me alone, at least long enough for me to swallow? If I have sinned, what have I done for you, done to you? O watcher of all humanity, why make me your target? Am I a burden to you? Why not just forgive my sin and take away my guilt? For soon I will lie down in the dust and die. When you look for me, I will be gone. Here in uh, the first verses, uh, one through five. Whether we suffer from physical pain, the loss of a spouse, a disappointing career, divorce, loneliness, depression, and a strange loved one, or any other kind of trouble, nights are a difficult time. At least in the daylight hours, our work or other activities can take our minds off our situation. When night falls and we are alone, the reality of our pain stares us in the face with no distractions. It is then we can talk to God about our pain and we will and he will listen and comfort us. We are never alone. We can always talk to God through prayer. <clears throat> in uh, the last half of the chapter, chapter 7, Job here turned to petition God. He recognized that God was the only one who could give him relief from this his troubles. Whether or not the pain we feel is a result of our own sins, God is there to comfort us. His timing may not be what we would consider ideal, but God's perspective and timing are always best. We can trust in God to rescue us, but in the time, but in his time, not ours. Moving on to chapter 8. Bildad's first response to Job. Then Bildad the Shuhite replied to Job, How long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Your children must have sinned against him, so their punishment as well deserved. But if you pray to God and seek the favor of the Almighty, and if you are pure and live with integrity, he will surely rise up and restore your happy home. And through, the, and through you started with little, you will end with much. Just ask the previous generation, pay attention to the experience of our ancestors. For we were born but yesterday and know nothing. Our days on earth are as fleeting as a shadow. But those who came before us will teach you. They will teach you the wisdom of old. Can papyrus reeds grow tall without a marsh? Can marsh grass flourish without water? While they are still flowering, not ready to be cut, they begin to wither more quickly than grass. The same happens to all who forgot, forget God. The hopes of the godless evaporate. Their confidence hangs by a thread. They are learning on a spider's web. They cling to their home for security, but it won't last. They try to hold it tight, but it will not endure. The godless seem like a lush plant growing in the sunshine, its branches spreading across the garden. Its roots grow down through a pile of stones. It takes hold on a bed of rocks, but then it is uprooted. It's as though it never existed. That's the end of its life, and others spring up from the earth to replace it. But look, 
God will not reject the person of integrity, nor will he lend a hand to the wicked. He will once again fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the home of the wicked will be destroyed. Here in uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, it says, You're getting what you deserve. This is perhaps the most unkind remark we might ever make to a sufferer. In some cases, it may be true. Foolish choices do often lead to painful consequences. But if consequence of sin at all, Bildad showed his ignorance of God's ways when he tried to connect Job's loss to some hidden sin. We need to be careful not to judge a person who is suffering a setback, for we may not have the whole story. Only God truly knows and understands all the circumstances. In uh, verses 8 through 22, Bildad was correct about some of his theology, but he erred in the application of his knowledge. God saw Job as blameless and upright, not as unfaithful or disobedient. Job's suffering was not the result of a wayward life. We must be very careful before we claim to know the purpose of another person's pain. Our first concern should be to offer comfort and support. Now we're going to finish off with uh, chapter 9, Job's third speech, a response to Bildad. Then Job spoke again. Yes, I know all this is true in principle, but how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? If someone wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? For God is so wise and so mighty, who has ever challenged him successfully? Without warning, he moves the mountains, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place, and his foundations tremble. He, if he commands it, the sun won't rise and the stars won't shine. He alone has spread out the heavens and marches in the waves of the sea. He made all the stars, the bear and the Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the southern sky. He does great, great things too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles, yet when he comes near, I cannot see him. When he moves by, I do not see him go. If he snatches someone in death, who can stop him? Who dares to ask, what are you doing? And God does not restrain his anger. Even the monsters of the sea are crushed beneath his feet. So who am I that I should try to answer God or even reason with him? Even if I were right, I would have no defense. I could only plead for mercy. And even if I summoned him and he responded, I'm not sure he will listen to me, for he attacks me with a storm and repeatedly wounds me with, without cause. He will not let me catch my breath, but fills me instead with bitter sorrows. If it's question of strength, he's the strong one. If it's matter of justice, who dares to summon him to court? Though I am innocent, my own mouth would pronounce me guilty. Though I am blameless, it would prove me wicked. I am innocent, but it makes no difference to me. I despise my life. Innocent or wicked, it is all the same to God. That's why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. 
When I pl- when a plague sweeps through, he laughs at the death of the innocent. The whole earth is in the hands of the wicked, and God blinds the eye of the judges. If he's not the one who does it, who is? My life passes more swiftly than a runner. It flees away without a glimpse of happiness. It disappears like a swift papyrus boat, like an eagle swooping down to its on its prey. If I decided to forget my complaints to put away my sad face and be cheerful, I would still dread all the pain, for I know you will not find me innocent, O God. Whatever happens, I will be found guilty. So what's the use of trying even if I were to wash myself with soap and clean my hands with lye? You would plunge me into a muddy ditch, and my own filthy clothing would hate me. God is not a mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. The mediator could make God stop beating me, and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Then I could speak to him without fear, but I cannot do that in my own strength. Here in verse 9, I mean in chapter 9, Job knew more than he understood. He knew about God's sovereignty and mercy and that no man is blameless apart from God's gracious forgiveness. When we feel that God isn't being fair, we should remember that if he were, we would never be able to enter his presence. When God is unfair, it is always on the side of mercy. Job also lamented the absence of a mediator to stand between himself and God. We do have such a mediator, Jesus Christ. We can take our case directly to God because Jesus' death and resurrection gave us access to God's presence. That concludes uh, chapters 6 through 9 of Job, and I briefly just wanted to cover um, all of them in a summary. After losing everything, Job has to continue listening to and responding to bad advice from his three friends. In response to Eliphaz, Job defends himself. He's despairing, but he doesn't curse God. He knows his pain isn't the result of sinful actions. A couple of the questions counselors train you to ask yourself in relational difficulty are where is my sin in this situation and what can I take ownership of those are important questions to ask especially because we're afraid we're often blind to our own sin but there are times when life is just hard or when you've been sinned against and your troubles aren't the result of something you contributed For instance, we never tell someone who had been raped or physically abused to think about what they did to deserve or cause that. It's not always true that our circumstances are the result of our choices. Sometimes they're the result of our fallen world. Much like Eliphaz, Bildad gives bad counsel. He tells Job he needs to repent, but chapter 1 told us that Job was blameless and upright and that these problems occurred because of his uprightness, not as the result of sin. Job's friends are attacking him in the midst of his grief, but they really think they're on the right track. They think they're helping him and that if they can just convince them to repent, 
all his troubles will subside. Stay tuned to see how that plays out. Job replies to Bildad with a lot of truth about God. Job says he'll appeal for mercy to his accuser, who is his accuser. While this could be a reference to God, it could also refer to Satan, whose name means the accuser and the adversary. However, one of the other ways the Hebrew can be translated is, I must appeal for mercy to my judge. If that's what he's saying, then it seems he's referring to God. Regardless of whether Job is referring to his accuser, Satan, or his judge, God, this is a good place to point out something about the word mercy. We often use the words mercy and grace interchangeably, but they actually mean very different things. They're like a pair of opposites that work together. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. For fallen humanity, we're all deserve, we all deserve hell. We've sinned against the Holy God and tried to elevate ourselves to His rank. We deserve nothing but punishment. The fact that we're breathing right now is God's mercy towards us. Just like He showed mercy toward Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden. He hasn't given us the immediate death we deserve for our rebellion. On the other hand, grace is when you get grace is when you get what you don't deserve. It's everything over and above not being annihilated. It's the way food tastes delicious, it's the way music brings us joy, and mostly it's the way we get to enter into a relationship with God despite our wickedness. Job has done nothing wrong in the situation, but he's still a sinful, fallen human like the rest of us. He knows he deserves annihilation, but he also knows God might still show him mercy because he knows God's character. One thing to keep in mind about today is that God's power is on display in Job's story. Job waxes about his power for several verses. God commands the sun. He does great things. He is wise and hard and mighty in strength. But this enormous God also steps down to be intimate with mankind. Like Job says in chapter 7, verse 17, What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? God created and is in charge of everything. But his heart isn't set on the mountains or on Orion or the Pleiades. It's set on humanity. What a shocking gift. He's where the joy is. Just wanted to leave everyone with a devotional today. Just like every day. And uh, today's devotional is... Rest in me, my child. This time devoted to me is meant to be peaceful, not stressful. You don't have to perform in order to receive my love. I have boundless, unconditional love for you. How it grieves me to see my children working for love, trying harder and harder, yet never feeling good enough to be loved. Be careful that your devotion to me does not become another form of works. I want you to come into my presence joyfully and confidently. You have nothing to fear, for you wear my own righteousness. Gaze into my eyes and you will see no condemnation, only love and delight in the one I see. Be blessed 
as my face shines radiantly upon you, giving you peace. Thank you everyone for listening today. I really appreciate all of your time and I hope you all have a blessed day. God bless each and every one of you.